Let's pray before we begin. Father, I just thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for this tremendous book. We have learned so much from it, Lord. We learn so much from all of your word. But each book is just so distinct, so different, Lord. Using the personalities of different men. and But the Holy Spirit is just the Lord what ties all these books together. And I, I just thank you, Lord for it all and I just pray as we finish up this book tonight that Lord you would just keep us with this impression of this wonderful man of God and how the Holy Spirit wants to do a similar work in our lives Lord of a prophetic word through us to our families our neighborhoods our nation I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 51. So the book of Jeremiah, as we have discussed many times as we're going throughout this book, is really about that time period during the last kings of Israel before they... The, the nation as a kingdom, as a sovereign kingdom, was overrun in about 600 B.C. It's never really been a sovereign kingdom since then. The Bible does say it will be, in a sense, a sovereign kingdom again when Jesus Christ returns. And so to a Jew, to someone who's Jewish, uh, these last couple of chapters are, particularly chapter 52, are, you know, particularly sort of a solemn remembrance of the time when the kingdom was dismantled. It was dismantled because of the rebellion of God's people, the rebellion of the, the, the children of God. And... You know, as I've said so many times, if I've repeated so many times, at the beginning of this book, at the beginning of his ministry, God told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born, I sanctified you, I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And he told him, he says, prepare yourself and arise and, and speak to all to speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, for I have made you this day a fortified city, a bronze wall against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. But as we have been discussing, he was not only a prophet to Israel and to the princes of Israel, but to the nations. It says, it says there in chapter 1, uh, verse 5. And really the history of the book of Jeremiah or the history of the sort of the context of it was the fall of Israel and the, the overtaking of Israel by the nation of Babylon. So for 40 years, Jeremiah, for 40 years, starting with King Josiah, who was the last good king of Israel, really had a message to them that you are going to be taken over by the Babylonians. And so 
the Babylonians, modern-day Iraq, 900 uh, miles away at the time that Jeremiah started prophesying about the des destruction of Israel and Jerusalem. It was a relatively minor power by the time, of course, that... But, you know, as, as the 40 years went on and as kings came and went in Israel and in Judah, Babylonia, the, the Babylon nation began to increase in size and power and overtake other countries, other nations. And eventually uh, they came in and they uh, actually came in three times at the in 596, thereabout, they came in for the first time, and they came uh, a second time a few years later, and then a third time in, in 605 B.C., and the last time they came in is when they destroyed the country. But they came in in previous times for, to, to, you know, basically to to take over and make the nation a vassal, and they put in puppet kings one of whose name is Zedekiah, and we're going to come, we're going to talk about him. But interestingly enough, the very country that God used to judge Israel would itself be judged. And that's this chapter 51 is about that, a judgment against Babylon. It says, thus says the Lord, verse 1, behold, I will raise up against Babylon, against those who dwell in Lebkamai, which is another word for the Chaldeans, a destroying wind, and I will send winnowers to Babylon, who shall winnow her and empty her land. For in the day of doom they shall be against her all around. Against her, let the archer bend his bow and let lift himself up against her in his armor. Do not spare her young men. Utterly destroy all her army. Thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans and those thrust through in her streets. For Israel is not forsaken, nor Judah, by his God, the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. And that's an important verse for us to just reflect on. Actually, you could write a devotion on about that verse. For Israel is not forsaken, nor Judah by his God, the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. So although Israel had been completely devastated by the Babylonians, what the Holy Spirit is saying here is there, that those who devastated them would be judged as a reminder to Israel that it's not forsaken, though their land was filled with sin. And, and you know, there is the same principle when it comes to those who are born of God. And Wednesday night we're studying First John, and, and that phrase is repeated over and over, born of God, born of God, born of God. If you are a Christian, that means you have been born of God. And you know, once you've been born of God, how can you be unborn? It doesn't even make any sense, and, and the Bible says that doesn't happen. But, but one thing that does happen periodically is, is that the life of the Christian, the land and the, the, their life 
that which God has given them, they bring, they, they backslide or in one form or another, they bring sin into their life. And, and their life resembles here in verse 5, a land filled with sin, a life filled with sin, sin against the Holy One of Israel. Don't be deceived when you're in sin, whether it's sexual sin or greed or uh, covetousness. It, it's, it's a sin against God. David said in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned, speaking to the Lord. He's talking about his sin involving Bathsheba. But what was true of Israel is true of someone who's been truly born of God. A child of God, just like it says here in verse 5, is not forsaken, though their life may become filled with sin. Now, it's also true, and First John also teaches that those who are born of God do not remain in sin or practice unrighteousness. That's true. <laughs> but there may be a season of their life where, for whatever reason, they invite sin back into their life, but God does not forsake. He didn't forsake Israel, nor does he forsake one who has been born of him. Verse 6, so the judgment of Babylon was a reminder to Israel that God hadn't forsaken them in spite of all their sin, in spite of their history of sin. Flee from the midst of Babylon and everyone save his life. Do not be cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He shall recompense her. Babylon, verse 7, was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk and the nations drank her wine. Therefore, the nations are deranged. And we, we discussed this last week that this, this particular verse looks a lot like Revelation chapter 18, where it says that in the time of tribulation, uh, verse 2, it says, and he cried, an angel cried from heaven mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons. Verse 3, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And so back in Jeremiah, verse 7 there, it says that when they were here, literally, uh, the, when the nation of Babylon was a nation, the golden cup of, um, uh, of, uh, of Babylon, all the earth drank it. And it says the nations became deranged. You know, there, there's something so seductive about that, that, that cup of Babylon, which is what? It was, it was talking about luxury. That's what we just read about in Revelation chapter 18, the, the, the materialism, mammon, and, and, and that sort of this, this system in the world of, of, you know, sort of chasing after things and mammon and money. You know, we had Halloween this past week, and I'm not a big fan of Halloween, but, but <laughs> you know, something there's so much more seductive than that kind of stuff, whatever, Halloween. And it's that, that seduction that happens 
through this drinking this cup and, and, and people are drinking it today in these latter days. The days in which the Bible says there, we just read in Revelation, that the whole earth is drinking of the same cup. You know, as, these, as the world becomes a global place and, and the whole world's being a, a infected by the same spirit of materialism, of, of luxury, of, uh, and, and this type of thing. It says, but it says here, and so, so there's a prophetic element here in this chapter, meaning it's speaking not only what happened at, when there was a judgment 2,500 years ago against the nation of Babylon, but there's a prophetic element in, in the sense that there's a time coming in the future, the time of the tribulation spoken of uh, in Revelation, which it also speaks to. Verse 8, Babylon is suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her, take bomb for her pain, perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let us go, everyone, to his own country, for her judgment reaches to heaven and is lifted up to the skies. It says in Revelation chapter uh, 18, verse 5, for her sins of Babylon have reached to heaven. And God has remembered her iniquity. Same imagery there. Verse 10, the Lord has revealed our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. Skip down to verse 15. It says, he, God, has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heaven by his understanding. So starts reading like the Psalms here. When he utters his voice, there's a multitude of waters in the heaven. He caused the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightnings for the rain. We talked about this about six months ago. There's, I think there's an allusion to the same thing in the book of Isaiah that God makes lightning for the rain. They actually only recently have discovered that, uh, that lightning actually causes rain. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of the treasuries. Verse 17, everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to the shame by the carved image, for his molded image is falsehood, and there is no breath in him. They are futile, a work of errors, and the time of their punishment, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the maker of all things. So he's making a distinction between Babylonian idols and himself. The portion of Jacob, this is a name of God. He is our portion. You know, the Bible says of the 12 tribes of Judah that the 11 tribes had a, had a portion. They had an inheritance in the land of Canaan, and it was divided by Lot. But the, the children of Levi, the Levites, it says they didn't have an inheritance because God was their portion. This is one of his names, the, meaning, he, and, and, and we really, we inherit the same thing as, as children of God, as born-again Christians, that God is our portion. He is our portion. We don't need to drink of the cup of Babylon. 
the cup of fornication of Babylon. We, we, God is our per- portion. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Now, verse 20 through 23, very interesting verses. You are my battle axe and weapon of war. Now, who is the you here? It's not Nebuchadnezzar because this whole thing is a judgment against Babylon. For with you I will break the nations in pieces. With you I will destroy kingdoms. Some people say this is Cyrus, who was uh, the one who uh, destroyed Babylon, but I don't think so. I think this is a prophetic word about none other than Jesus Christ who when he returns, Jesus promised to return, in the war of Armageddon, he's going to destroy the nations and he's going to set up his kingdom. Verse 21, with you I will break in pieces the horse and its rider. With you I will break in pieces the chariot and its rider. With you I will break in pieces man and woman. With you I will break in pieces old and young. With you I will break in pieces the young men and maiden. With you I will break in peace the shepherd and his flock. With you I will break in pieces the farmer and his yoke, and with you I will break in pieces governors and rulers. So maybe a reference there to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Verse 24, and I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of of Chaldea for all the evil they have done in Zion in your sight says the Lord. Verse 27, skip down there. Set up a banner in the land. Blow a trumpet among the nations. Prepare the nations against her. Call the kingdoms together against her. Eret, Mini, and Ashkenaz, that's those are countries to the north of Babylon, appoint a general against her. Cause the horses to become like bristling locusts. Verse 30, the mighty men of Babylon have ceased fighting. They have remained in their strongholds. Their might has failed. They became like women. They have burned her dwelling places. The bars of her gates are broken. One runner will meet to, uh, will, will, one runner will run to meet another and one messenger to meet another to show the king of Babylon that his city is taken on all sides. Now when the Medes and Persians took over Babylon. You can read this in the book of Daniel uh, at the time of, I believe it was Belshazzar. He's having his feast and uh, the hand comes on the wall and says, you've been found in the balance and you, uh, you have been, you've been weighed in the balance and you've been found wanting. And that night the Medes and the Persians took over and it is said that the city of Babylon is so big, 60 miles in circumference or something like that, it took three days for everyone to find out that they had a new re- ruler. It was a nonviolent overthrow. And that's why many believe that because there's such, a, there's such uh, symbols of violence in this 51st chapter that a lot of this is talking about a future time. But it says in verse 31, one runner will meet to another and one messenger to another to show the king of Babylon that its city is taken on all sides. The city was so big, they had to run throughout the, you know, the whole area. Verse 33, for thus the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor. Speaking of the threshing floor of wheat. When it is time to thresh her yet a little while and the time of her harvest will come. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me. Speaking of Jerusalem, where Nebuchadnezzar had come in and devoured it. He has crushed me, has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me up like a monster. He has filled his stomach with my delicacies. He has spit me out. Let the violence done to me and my flesh be upon Babylon. The inhabitant of Zion will say, and my blood be upon the inhabitants of Chaldea. Now go down to verse 41. Oh, how Shishak, another word for Babylon is taken and how the praise of the whole earth is seized. So the whole earth praised the glory of Babylon. It's one of the seven or eight wonders. Is it seven or eight wonders of the of the ancient world? Babylon was the the, the hanging gardens, and and it was just a amazing place. But it says it is seized, meaning it's, it, it's stopped. It's stopped in its tracks. How Babylon has become desolate among the nations. The sea has come up over Babylon. She is covered up, covered with the multitude of its waves. In uh, Revelation chapter 18, verse 21, it says, A mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down. And so uh, the same kind of imagery there. Uh, if you could go to verse 51, it says, We are ashamed because we have heard reproach. Shame has covered our faces. For strangers have come into the sanctuary of the Lord's house. And you know, we most of us being Gentiles can't even imagine really the feeling it was like to just have the knowledge that the temple was invaded by Gentiles. In the, ten, you know, in the holy place, only priests were allowed. And for generations, hundreds of years, the holy place, first in the ark, first rather in the tabernacle and then the temple, no one entered it except priests. And then the most holy place, of course, is just the high priest. And the thought to a Jew of anybody, Much less, a, 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 you know, anyone, even a, a Jew who is not a priest. The thought to a non-priest who is Jewish going into the holy place would have just brought horror to the mind of a Jew. But the thought of a pagan, a bloodthirsty, you know, pagan, you know, destroying the city, raping the women and, and slaying the men, coming into the holy place. This was just the most horrifying thought to a Jewish person. That's why it says in verse 51, shame has covered our faces for strangers have come into the sanctuaries of the Lord's house. It was the word of God that prohibited everyone except priests going into the holy place. So there would be judgment 
for them, Babylon, doing that. Verse 52, therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring judgment on her carved images. And again, every time you see judgment, really, in the Bible against these nations, and, and we talked about Egypt and the ten plagues, it's in addition to judging the people, it's judging their gods. And that's this is references to judgment against their carved images. And throughout all her land, the wounded shall groan, though Babylon were to mount up to heaven, and though she were to fortify the height of her strength, yet from me plunders would come to her. The sound of a cry comes from Babylon and great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans because the Lord is plundering Babylon and silencing her loud voice. So that her loud voice speaking of the pride of Babylon. Though her waves roar like great waters and the noise of their voice is uttered because the plunders come against her, against Babylon, and her mighty men are taken, every one of their bows is broken for the Lord is the God of recompense. He will surely repay. Oh, how when we are wronged, we just need to leave it to the Lord. You know, when we pay back where we've been wronged, our problem is, is that so many times we, we overdo it and we hurt not only the person but a whole bunch of people around them and around us. When God, when we leave vindication to the Lord, he's so strategic. He's like one of those strategic missiles that you know, we've talked about flying to silos nowadays. He just does just that amount of vindication that's necessary. But he is the God of recompense, verse 56. And, and, you know, we can take, there's a comfort that we can take in, in that. It sounds kind of odd. But if we are wronged greatly by a coworker, I know there's probably a number of you today who, who that's been done, or a boss or a neighbor or whoever, just taking comfort that God is the God of recompense. You know, best of all worlds is that we pray for those who have wronged us and they come to the Lord or we just we pray that the Lord would bless them. That's what the Bible tells us to do. But we can take comfort that if recompense or vindication is warranted, God can't help but do it because he's the God of recompense. Verse 57, I will make drunk her princes and wise men. Her governors, her deputies, her mighty men, they shall sleep a perpetual sleep. Babylon has never risen since then uh, as a nation of power. We'll see what happens in the latter days. And will not awake, says the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. It's interesting there that the Lord God is called king Verse 58, thus says the Lord of hosts, the broad walls of Babylon shall be utterly broken. Remember, they are 200 feet high, 200 feet high these walls around Babylon. Six chariots, according to Josephus, could go side by side on top of these walls. They've been broken. And her gates shall be burned with fire. The people will labor in vain and the nations because of the fire and they shall be weary. So this is the end. This is the end of the prophecy of Jeremiah. It says in verse 59, the word which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sariah the son of Neriah, this, the, the son of Messiah, when he went with Zedekiah, 
the king of Judah to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign, and Sariah was the quarter master. So a little context for you here. This guy, so this guy, Sariah, is taken in the middle of Nebuchadnezzar's reign to, with this prophecy against Babylon to give to Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know about you. I would not want to have delivered that message. And he gives it to him. And interestingly enough here, it says that he went with Zedekiah. He went with Zedekiah. Zedekiah was the last member. Actually, is that ready? The kings of, uh, of Judah here? I'm going to put, put those up. So can we just go to the very bottom? So uh, the, can you just go to the top really briefly, uh, Josh? Is that, are you, okay, well, it shows Solomon there. Above Solomon, it's David and Saul. There we go. So then all the way to the bottom. Remember, there's the Silver War here. We've shown this uh, colored thing, this colored timeline many times there. The northern kingdom ends. And right here, right here, the last king, if you can see, is Zedekiah. He reigned for 10, 11 years. And interestingly enough here, you can just leave that up. It says that in the last, in the fourth year, the reign of Zedekiah, Zedekiah was a puppet king. He was one of the sons of Josiah, but he was a puppet king installed there by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, really, really, really interesting. There's a book that some scholar has done on this, and he is of the opinion, this scholar, that this same trip referenced here where Zedekiah traveled the 900 miles all the way from Jerusalem to Babylon was the time that we read about in Daniel chapter 3. Remember what happened in Daniel chapter 3? What happened? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What happened? They refused to bow down to what? That 90-foot pole that Nebuchadnezzar uh, installed in the plains of Dura. It was 90 feet tall, pure, uh, rather 90 foot feet uh, high, pure gold. And he commanded what? Every governor, every satrap, every official from everywhere to come to Babylon to bow down to that image, that 90 foot tall image. And so this uh, this scholar, I, th- I think the guy's name is William Shea, dates that to 594 and 595 B.C., the same time that, that Zedekiah is traveling there and believes that this is a reference. Now, why would the king of Jerusalem go 900 miles all the way, take the trouble to go all the way to Babylon? Well, it's because the, the king had, had ordered that, Nebuchadnezzar ordered that. It is believed because there were problems in the empire with with civil unrest, that type of thing, people rebelling against him. He wanted, okay, everyone's going to come before me and they're going to pay me homage. I'm sick of this, uh, these people betraying me, uh, turning against me, rebelling. So he had everyone come. And it's believed that this is a reference to that. Uh, you, can, you can take that down now, Josh. Verse 60, so Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that would be- come upon Babylon, all these words that are written against Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, Anyone, anyone know uh, whose brother Sariah is? I'll be just so extremely impressed. Of course, I would never know if you were asking me this question if I hadn't prepared. He's the brother of Baruch. Baruch was 
Jeremiah's secretary. We, uh, you know, there's a whole short, a whole chapter, a short chapter dedicated to Baruch. But Baruch is, uh, Sarai is Baruch's brother. And he said to Sarai in verse 61, when you arrive in Babylon and, s- and see it and read all these words, oh boy, this guy had to be a courageous man. Verse 62, then you shall say, O Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off so that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. Now, remember, by this time when he goes back, there's thousands of Jewish exiles living in the land of Babylon who had to have been so discouraged They're living in the midst of all this luxury, the mighty armies of Babylon, the incredible palaces, the the walls, the chariots, discouraged, thinking Jerusalem, Israel will never be reestablished. We're just going to sort of eventually be wiped out. We're going to be, there's going to be no remembrance of the Jewish people. Actually, this would have been an encouragement to them where they're being told, no, even this around you, yes, that dominates your former country land, the land of your forefathers, the promised land, your land. These people who, are, who have overrun that, that land who are going to be made desolate to ever, forever, it would have encouraged them. Verse 63, now it shall be when you have finished reading the book that you shall tie a stone to it and throw it in the Euphrates. So actually, I brought in a picture of the Euphrates. Do we have that picture? There's two. One, a map of the Euphrates, where, where, where it is. There's a map. The first, the first one is a map, a map of the Euphrates. So... There it is right there. The Tigris is the one to the east. The Euphrates is the one to the uh, west there. And so that's, that's Babylon right there. It runs right through it. And so he, he's told there to, uh, to throw this prophecy <laughs> into the Euphrates. Verse 64 says, Then you shall say, Thus Babylon shall sink and not rise from the catastrophe that I will bring upon her and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. We actually have a picture of the Euphrates, the actual river. There it is. You ever seen the Euphrates River? There it is. There's a little, little piece of it. Who knows? Maybe Jeremiah's scroll is at the bottom of that part right there. I doubt it. But uh, uh, anyway, that's a picture of the Euphrates. Chapter 52, last chapter, Zedekiah was 21 years old. Again, Zedekiah, the last king of, of, of Israel, who is actually the last king of Israel is Jesus Christ. He is the king. Interesting that he's called that in chapter 51, verse 57. But the last earthly king of the actual uh, kingdom that reigned on earth, Zedekiah, says his mother's name was Hamanthal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that Jehoiakim had done. 
And we've already read a lot of, about this. You sort of, this is sort of a summary at the end of Jeremiah. A lot of Jeremiah was preaching a, to Zedekiah, pleading with him to repent. God's word, his prophets are always faithful to do that. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah till he finally cast them out of his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign in the tenth month on the tenth day of the month. The Bible is a history book. That Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and camped, uh, camped against it. And they built a siege wall against it all around. So Nebuchadnezzar had, I mean, rather, Zedekiah had been a, a puppet king. And for most of his reign, he, he basically, Nebuchadnezzar was his boss. And he did what Nebuchadnezzar told him to do. But he disobeyed the word of the Lord. Jeremiah had been saying, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. This is God's chastening. This is God's discipline. And he uh, rebelled against uh, Babylon and says Nebuchadnezzar came in and built a siege wall against it all around. So a siege wall is just a wall that they build outside the wall of Jerusalem, an additional wall which doesn't allow support or supplies to come in, nor does it allow people to who are inside to escape because they would block the supplies from coming in. So there would be famine and starvation. People would try to escape. A siege wall prevented that. Verse 5, so the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. By the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city wall was broken through and all the men of war fled and went out of the city at night by the way of the gate between the two walls. This, this is a, a really a picture of the integrity and character of the people had got to be so low through worshiping for gods and rejecting the word of God that the actual men of war, the people who are supposed to defend the city, say, oh, no, we're going to lose. We better get out of here. We're going to get killed, leaving everyone that they're supposed to defend behind. So the men of war, it says they escaped the city here. Verse 7, the city wall was broken. The men of war fled by way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were near the city all around. And they went by the way of the plain, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So it gives the exact uh, month here, the exact day of the month, that Jeremiah had been prophesying about for 40 years that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. So for 40 years it was prophesied, but in one day it came to pass. I don't know if you remember when the Soviet Union fell. The Soviet Union really fell in one day. I don't know if you remember the picture of those tanks and, and in one day it fell. And, and, and you know, really creepy. The, it's amazing how easily, how much we live by the grace of God in this country. It's, it's just phenomenal. But we, 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 we don't really have a proper 
appreciation of that, of that grace. You know, in Katrina, remember what a mess it was? Well, some of the same images just happened with the Hurricane Sandy. Do you see some of these articles of complete mayhem and chaos and looting in certain parts of New York and Queens? Complete lawlessness? And that was just a dinky little storm, really, relative to what the Lord is capable of doing. And, and, and it's amazing how this mighty nation just is, uh, you know, at least in the, in the natural, in the eyes of the world, a mighty nation can just be brought to its knees by a, by, by a storm like this, which is such a tiny fraction of, of the type of thing, the type of storms that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. Where really in one day, all of a sudden, just lawlessness prevails in the United States of America. Who would have thought? In one day, Jerusalem is taken over. And, and we read previously the, the, in Jeremiah, the, the Babylonians just come in and they set up shop right there in Jerusalem. The army of the Chaldeans, verse 8, pursued the king, and they overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. Boy, a loyal bunch of guys. So they took the king and brought him up uh, to the king of Babylon at Riblah, in the uh, land of uh, Hamath, and he pronounced judgment on him. The king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and he killed all the princes of Judah and Riblah. He put out the eyes of Zedekiah and the king of Babylon, bound him in bronze fetters and took him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death. Ezekiel 12, verse 13, prophesied, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied of Zedekiah that he would be carried to Babylon, but he would not see it. It's amazing, Samson, in a picture here too, blindness and bondage. It's the effect of sin. And we saw the life of Zedekiah. He was a coward. He was a spineless coward who would sway with the, whatever the political winds were at the time. 32 years old. You know, we think of when we, we, we hear the word king sometimes. I don't know about you. I always just have this picture of this whatever. 65-year-old guy with a white beard or whatever. I guess, sorry for you 60-year-olds, you don't necessarily have white beards at that age. But, but he's 32 years old. Any 32-year-olds in here? It's a young guy. There's one, Greg Brace. Uh, uh, Mike McMillan? <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, but he's got a white beard, but he doesn't, you know, it's not 32. <laughs> Uh, but, but, but anyway, 32 years old, the last image that he saw, can you imagine the last image that he saw, talk about a barbaric world, was his own sons being killed. And then it says the king plucked his eyes out, as if to do that on purpose, the last image he had. Wow. Verse 12, now in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, 
Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard who served the king in Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and, all, and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great. He burned with fire, and all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down all the walls of Jerusalem all around, broke down all the walls. Then the and you may ask, well, why even, you know, why, why even trouble themselves with doing that? I mean, come on. Can you imagine how hard it is to tear down one of those fortified cities? They couldn't get into these walls. These walls were not small walls. They Remember, we just read they were outside these walls trying to get in for 15 months. These were not small walls. Why take the trouble to, to, to pull them all down? Well, there's just in, the, in ancient times, they would overtake a city but the city, within 10, 20 years, the inhabitants would get back in it and rise up again, and they have this wonderful fortification around them. So they actually took the trouble to dismantle the walls. And then the book of Nehemiah, we see them coming back in and, 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 and building the walls. Book of Ezra, Nehemiah. Verse 15, now, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captives, some of the poor people. So this is the third or fourth exile. They killed a lot of people, but they took some of the poor people. The rest of the people who remained in the city, the defectors who had deserted the king of Babylon. So many people had defected to Babylon. And actually, remember, Jeremiah said, if you desert to the king of, ba to the, the king of Babylon, to his army... The Lord will let you live. Can you imagine that? No wonder they hated Jeremiah in Jerusalem. But this is it. Is. There's, here's the proof right here. They did lead, let them live. They, those who uh, had deserted the king of Babylon were taken back to uh, Babylon and the rest of the craftsmen. But Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, left some of the poor of the, the land as vine dressers and farmers. So these next few verses, really interesting. It says that the uh, bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried all their bronze to Babylon. Now, that is a remarkable statement because in 1 Kings chapter 7, it says Solomon did not weigh all the articles because there was so many, the weight of the bronze was not determined. And it says they carried back the, the sea. You remember what that is? That's a very large basin that was Solomon built for the priests to do their ceremonial washings in prior to serving in the temple. And it says, of the sea, the bronze sea in 1 Kings 7, it says, and he made the sea of cast bronze, 10 cubits from one brim to the other. It was completely round. Its height was five cubits, and a line of uh, 30 cubits measured its circumference. So it was about 19 feet wide, something like that. Below its brim were ornamental buds encircling it all around, 10 to a cubit. All the way around the sea, the ornamental buds were cast into two rows when it was cast. It stood on 12 oxen. Of course, they were bronze oxen. Three looking towards the north, three looking towards the west, three looking towards the south, three looking towards the east. The sea was set upon them, and all their backs 
back parts pointed inward. It was a hand breadth thick, and its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup, like a lily blossom. It contained 2,000 baths. So, so and, and here we read in verse 17 of the last chapter of Jeremiah, the bronze sea carried back to Babylon. Now, well, in verse 18 here, it says, they also took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the bowls, the spoons, all the bronze utensils with their priests, uh, the, which the priests ministered. And, you know, these things are spoken of in Exodus chapter 27. All of them had been made for the service of the tabernacle and the temple. Verse 19, the basins, the fire pans, the bowls, the pots, the lampstands, the spoons, the cups, whatever was solid gold and whatever was solid silver, the captain of the guard took away. The two pillars, one sea, the 12 bronze bulls which were under it, and the carts which King Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. We just read about that. Now concerning the pillars, the height of one pillar was 18 cubits. A measuring line of 12 cubits could measure its circumference, and its thickness was four fingers. It was hollow, a capital of bronze. So a capital is, again, one of those big, pillars was on it and the height of one capital was five cubits with a network of pomegranates all around the capital. The second pillar with pomegranates was the same. There were 96 pomegranates on all the sides. All the pomegranates all around on the network were 100. And so they took all this stuff back. And, and, and again, you know, this picture of people just taking all the vessels of the temple, all these holy things, and carting them back. Now, the last thing I wanted to show on the projecting screen is a picture of this happening with all the vessels of the Lord, but they were being carried away by pagan uh, people, uh, not to Babylon, but to Rome. You guys ever seen this, the Arch of Titus? And so the menorah is there, the, uh, the, the table of the showbread is there, the trumpets referred to in the Bible calling people, you know, to, you know, to their feasts are, are right there. Here they're being taken to Rome. This is the Arch of Titus, which actually is still in Rome. You can go see this. But it's, to me, this is helpful because just it's good to, to sit back and reflect. The same thing happened. A bunch of Babylonians carrying the stuff back to Babylon in, in the same manner. And some of these things were huge. Thanks, Josh. Some of these things were, were huge, and they uh, were taken back. Verse 25 says, He also took out the city, an officer who has had charge of the men of war, seven men of the king's close associates who were found in the city, the principal scribe of the army, who mustered the people of the land, the 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the midst of the city, Nebuchadnezzar and the captain of the guard took these and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. The king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. And how Jeremiah's heart must have broken because he had spoken to these very same people. Don't do what you're going to do. Don't rebel against the king of Babylon. He has overtaken us for a time of the Lord's discipline because the Israel had rebelled 
It had rebelled against the Lord for so long, for so many generations. This is from him, but it'll only be 70 years. And, and, and Jerusalem will be reestablished, but the people would have none of it. And here they are. They're being put to death. How Jeremiah, it must have broken his heart just seeing them rebel, knowing their end. Verse 28, these are the people uh, whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive in the 70th year. 3,023 Jews in the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away captive from Jerusalem 832 persons. In the 23rd year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried away captive of the Jews 745 persons. All the persons were 4,600. So by the way, just as a note here, we do talk about these things on Sunday night. The figures here are much less than the figures in 2 Kings. And so you can go read commentators about that. It is believed that these exiles talking, that is the figures referring to how many people were exiled. In 2 Kings, it has much higher numbers. It is believed that these numbers are referring to sort of lesser exiles. Remember when the governor of Judah uh, the, the temporary, after Zedekiah was killed, a guy by the name of Gedaliah was put into place and he was assassinated and all the Jews were scared that Nebuchadnezzar was going to come back and attack again. What's well, believed, for example, that he, he did attack again and this is a reference here in these, these verses to another smaller exile uh, that was done. And so for what it's worth, you can go uh, look at that, uh, those commentators if you'd like. The last few verses of Jeremiah here. Now it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah. Actually, can we get that first uh, timeline up and just go down, scroll down to the end? In the 12th month of the, of the 25th day of the month, that evil Merodach, he was the son of Nebuchadnezzar. So right here, you just skip forward in time. In the first year of his reign, he lifted up the head of Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. So, so what is this about? Well, Jehoiachin, he's the, the second to the last king here. If you, you can read about him in the book of 2 Kings uh, as well. I believe it's chapter 24. He reigned for just three months. He was 18 years old. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar, it was one of the times Nebuchadnezzar came in and into the city and carried off a bunch of exiles. He didn't destroy it yet. That would happen after Zedekiah, the last king. But during the reign of Jehoiachin, uh, Jehoiachin also listened to his advisors, rebelled against the king. The king came and hauled him back to Babylon and put him in prison this king. Reigned for just three months. Okay, you can take that down. And it, and it says here, the king took him out of prison and verse 32, he says, he spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin ch changed from his prison garments and he ate bread regularly before the king 
all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given him by the king of Babylon, a portion for each day until the day of his death, all the days of his life. That's the end of the book of Jeremiah. Very odd ending. So what can we make of this? It's interesting, this guy, Jeochen, he's, he's an evil, wicked king for three months. He just copied what his, you know, what his uh, brother had been like, behaved the same way his brother had been king before him. He was evil. When he was 18 years old, he was taken prisoner and thrown in prison. And it says here, we just read it, in the 37th year of his captivity... Wow, he's 55. He's been living in jail for 37 years in a dungeon. For whatever reason, Nebuchadnezzar's successor brings him out of the dungeon and puts him at his table, changes his garments, cleans him up. You know, it's kind of like a Joseph thing. When Joseph was in prison in Egypt, and all of a sudden this guy's eating at the king's table, reminds you also of Mephibosheth, where David takes him out of the land of Lodabar, the land of the wasteland, and, and brings him to his table to eat at his table. And so what do we make of this? Well, it is believed that it, it was just placed here by the Holy Spirit sort of as an encouragement to the people, to the exiles in Babylon that, wow, God is gracious and God is in control and you think he's forgotten you. Who, other than God, would have still been thinking of this, this king who only reigned for three months who's rotting in a Babylonian prison? Who's even thinking about him? 37 years? Think about how long that is. What is that, the 1960s in comparison to today or something like that? I mean, that's a long time ago. All of a sudden, this king is bringing this guy out. It's a reminder to the Jewish people that God hasn't forgotten. He hasn't forgotten about them. So we read in the book of Nehemiah and Ezra that indeed he didn't forget about them and that they, the exiles would go back. And so this remarkable ending to this remarkable book is a message of grace. We, so often in this book, it was just Jeremiah against the nations, against all the people. God had told him at the very beginning when he was a young man, 16 or 17 years old, it's going to be a you against everybody else. And it was pronouncing judgment. But how wonderful. The last few verses of the book are just all about the unfathomable, incomprehensible grace and mercy of God, bringing this no-name king to the king's table. And how he does the same with us, just no-name people who we too, evil, wicked, just like this wicked king, he brings us back to sit at the table of the Lord where we can sup with him Revelation uh, 3.20 where Jesus says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. Anyone who opens the door, I will come in and sup, dine, eat at the table with him. What a wonderful picture of God's grace.